Well, hey friends, uh, this morning it is just going to be me and you. And by me and you, I mean us and then Oscar behind the camera. So we just wanted to make sure we took the time to pass along some of the teaching from this week. For those of you who were here on Tuesday, thanks for just joining us in one of the most incredible worship opportunities that I think I have ever experienced. Um, it was incredible to be with all of you. And so today, um, we're just going to sit here and have coffee together and talk over um, a lesson about being exiled. So I'm just going to pray for us real quick, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you just for the space um, that we can do this. Thank you for the technology that um, we can still bring messages um, to one another, that your word can go out um, at all times, God. We love you. Um, I pray that you speak to us through your word today and just bless our time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to start by asking you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't really want to be, like kind of an uncomfortable situation. Now, I'm not talking about walking into the men's restroom or, or trying to find your size in the Old Navy clearance section because we all know what that's like. And if you have never experienced that, then be thankful that you have been spared. But I mean like a distressing, just difficult, frustrating, and possibly even debilitating situation. I've been in a few of those. One was when I was sitting in the um, fertility clinic waiting to go to orientation to learn about in vitro fertilization. Another was just a few months ago when I found myself sitting in the waiting room of the Hearst uh, jail and listening to family members arguing nearby. And then I remember a time when I was younger, possibly in high school, maybe early high school, when I was at my uncle's funeral. And it wasn't really, the problem wasn't being at his funeral per se, but it was the fact that my parents made me leave camp. And even though I wasn't that close to my uncle, they made me pack up and leave camp and go to his funeral. And I didn't really want to be there. And those are the places that they, they just were not in my plan A. And I'm sure that, um, that through some of these, as I've named them, that you've perhaps recalled some of the things that you too have gone through. And you know, as we look to those around us, um, we realize we're not alone in those feelings. As a matter of fact, the very reason that, that I'm recording this on a Thursday instead of Tuesday is because our dearest Tiffany and her husband Jason have found themselves in a place they didn't expect to be, seeing their weak old son, seeing his life hang in the balances in the NICU. And you know, when, when she uh, was preparing basically for um, the birth of David, knowing that he could um, possibly have a heart condition, a friend explained it to her as, you pack your bags and you think that you're on an airplane headed to Hawaii. You have your swimsuit and your sunglasses and your, you know, sunscreen and all the fun things that you would plan for a beach vacation. But when the plane actually lands, you look out the window and discover that you've been diverted 
to Alaska. You know, this is not what you expected. It's not where you planned to be, and you are not prepared to be there. And it feels a little bit like exile. But you know, as we look through history and throughout the Bible, we aren't the only ones who have experienced exile, who have ended up in these unexpected places. God's chosen people, the Israelites, they found their, themselves away from their homes in the hand of the Babylonians, and they were in exile. They were God's elect, yet they found themselves in exile. And so now exile has a couple of definitions. The first is the state of being banned from your native country. That's not the definition we're talking about today. We're going to talk about the second definition that is a person who lives away from his or her native country, either by choice or by compulsion. It's basically the state of not being home. And you know, the Bible is filled with examples of exile. If you go back to, to Abraham, God's very first commandment to Abraham was that he start out as an exile. God told him to leave his home and go to Canaan, the future promised land. And then through the, the slavery of Joseph, when his brothers put him in slavery, and the subsequent famine that came upon the land, Jacob's entire family is sent to Egypt, and there they spent 400 years in slavery, exiled away from their home. But then God brings about Moses, who through, through God's providing and intervening, God leads, um, Moses leads the great exodus out of Egypt toward the promised land. But before they make it to the promised land, God's chosen people become disgruntled and they create their own idols to worship. They, they disobey God and they find themselves wandering in the desert for 40 years. But then finally, because of God's grace, they make it to the promised land that God had kept for them. They settled into 12 tribes. And although they were 12 tribes, they were still one united kingdom, one united people, and life was good. For a little bit. <laughs> the people then began to experience disputes between one another. Um, they were having military crises, and so they wanted a human who could, who could help them um, rule and make decisions, and so God gave them judges. Those judges being, you know, Gideon and Deborah and Samson and Samuel, just to name a few. And that was going okay, but then, then the nation of the Israelites, they started to look around at the other nations around them, and they, they saw that these other nations had kings. And they said, well, if everybody else has a king, then, then we want a king too. And now, between you and me, I know that you're not really familiar with wanting something just because somebody else has it, but I just need you to go with me here, Okay. <laughs> You see, they wanted a king, and so God, in his mercy and his still divine sovereignty, God gave them King Saul. And then King David and King Solomon, both men of God who loved God and worshipped God and cared well for the people of God. But the, at the end of Solomon's reign, the kingdom split apart. And so by this time, you may be a little overwhelmed with everything that's happening. And so one thing we're going to provide to you is a timeline of what's going on. So take a look at that timeline as we're walking along. And you'll see right here, we're at the split in the timeline. You see, the northern um, kingdom, there were, there were um, let me back up, the united kingdom was... Uh, 
made of 12 tribes and King Solomon at the time. So when Solomon died, one of his servants, Jeroboam, decided that he should be the leader. And so what Jeroboam did is he rebelled against the nation. And believe it or not, 10 of the 12 tribes of um, Israel followed him. And Jeroboam led them into idol worship of a golden calf. He told them that they no longer had to make their pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And that meant that they would never have any contact with Jerusalem with the two southern tribes. And before long, all of those ten nations continued in rebellion against God. They sinned, and they never repented. And though God gave them many chances, he eventually turned them over to their enemies. And the northern ten tribes were captured by Assyria. They were carried away to Assyria. They were never to be seen again. And so that we know them as the ten northern tribes, the ten lost tribes. Now, meanwhile, the southern kingdom is led by Rehoboam, King David's grandson. And so so begins this long journey of godly kings and ungodly kings and a roller coaster of, of a king building up idols and then another king tearing them down and, and following God's laws and man's laws and, and defeating their enemies and being defeated by their enemies, going back and forth, this roller coaster. And after this period of over 20 kings, only five had been godly kings. They continued to sin and disobey God. And so what God did is he gave them over to their enemies. He gave them over to their sin. And Babylonians were the ones who had been fighting them over all this time. And eventually, Babylon defeated Jerusalem. And then Babylon carried them away to exile. And so that is where we find ourselves today in the passage. We are going to camp out studying this. And let me just say, what their exile did not mean was that God had abandoned them. Last week, Grace talked to us about the covenant that God made with Abraham when God walked through the animals that had been cut in half. And if you'll remember, Abraham didn't walk through the animals. God did. This covenant was based on God's actions and God's actions alone. And so this isn't necessarily a story about the Israelites' sin and disobedience. I mean, while that is important and we need to study this, you need to understand that this is a story about the character of God. This book is a story about who God is. It's a story of his promise and his character. And despite numerous opportunities, he never left his chosen people. But that doesn't mean that they didn't experience suffering and they didn't experience exile. And it doesn't mean that we won't either. You see, my time in the infertility clinic does not compare to what the Israelites experienced. And it doesn't compare to what Tiffany and Jason are walking through with David. And I don't know what it means for you. But I want us to look at the passage and learn what it meant to the Israelites and what it meant to God. We're going to be in Jeremiah 29, where we find the Israelites in Babylon. So they've only been there for a couple of years, and there are false prophets who are saying that they won't be there long, and this suffering won't last. They're saying that God's rescue is just around the corner. But a few chapters earlier, actually in Jeremiah, 
Jeremiah had told them from God that actually this exile is going to be 70 years. And so when these false prophets came along and said it was only going to be two years, well, that was false. (laughs) They're making them false prophets. So let's look at Jeremiah 29, 1 and 2. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. Now you see it says Nebuchadnezzar had taken them into exile. The Babylonians didn't just conquer Jerusalem. They carried the people away. And now why would they do that? You see, it says they took the leaders and the professional classes, the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the metal workers, all of the people who were trained, the leaders of the country, and they took them away because they wanted these people to begin to assimilate with the Babylonians, thereby starting to lose their identity as a nation. And hopefully they would begin to... um, allow basically Babylon to rule over them. And the people had begun to believe these, these false prophets who were saying they would only be there for a little bit. And so two, um, there were two pervasive um, attitudes going on. One was self-pity. They were saying, God, why have you done this? Why did you allow this? Why did you um, let them do this to us? Why us? And then the second attitude was basically one of indifference saying, I mean, we're only going to be here a couple of years. We don't, we don't need to unpack our backs. We don't need to do anything, right? Like, we don't need to contribute to society. We are in exile. This is not our home. And so Jeremiah wrote them this letter and because the people seemed to be just a tad confused. And so let's look at verse 4. It says, um, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The first thing God reminds them of is who he is. He says, I am the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And you see, these people, the Jewish people, they knew who the God of Israel was. The God of Israel was the God who had delivered them out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, who had carried them to the promised land, who God had given them Moses to lead them into the promised land. And so God was reminding them of his character. He was reminding them of who he was. He was not talking about their circumstances. And so this is tool number one for us. This is we can look at the Israelites and see that when they were in exile, the first thing they had to do was remember who God is and remember what he has done. And the same is true for us. When we find ourselves in exile, remember who God is and what he has done. If you were here with us on Tuesday, you remember Jason and Crystal led us in this incredible time of worship And the very first songs that we sang were reminding us of God's character. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. And now I'll be honest with you. I didn't want to be here on Tuesday. I was hurting for my friend. And I had those attitudes of, God, why are you doing this to my friend? And God, 
I don't want to serve. I don't, I don't want to see people. I want to be able to pray for and love on my friend, not serve others. I had that horrible attitude of self-pity and indifference. But when we all came together and we all worshiped and we all experienced what corporate worship was like and to leave here confident of the power of our almighty God, I guarantee God was glorified and he was pleased because we were focusing on who he is and what his character is. Now, did you see something kind of wonky in verse 4? Look back at verse 4. It says, you see in verse 1, it says Nebuchadnezzar carried them. And then in verse 4, it says, God says, I carried you into exile. What does that even mean? It's basically God is saying that these social forces, this, this war and these people who have a, a thirst for power, they are the ones who physically carried you into this idol-worshiping society. But God says, I was using those forces. I brought you here, and I have not forgotten you. He says, being in exile, it's going to be terrible and difficult and frustrating, but I'm going to refine you and make you better, and I have a purpose to bless the city too. Look what it says. Let's go on in um, verses 5 through 10. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And so basically, God is saying to them, it's time to make a difference. You see, oftentimes, it can be a frustrating place to be away from your home, away from plan A. When we find ourselves in these places that we do not want to be, we can be assured that God is still with us. And even if it is uncomfortable, there is something he is going to do there. And so tool number two, for the Israelites, he told them, when you find yourself in exile, bring shalom to those around you. Now for us here at IBC, um, as missionary disciples, one of our um, rhythms is to bless our neighbors. And that's what this is that's what this is saying. Look at verse five. It says, live and settle in Babylon. Don't withdraw from it. Um, he says, grow your families, establish generations, and make a positive impact. And then verse 7, he says, pray to me, the Lord of the host, pray to me, which means don't assimilate. You can respectfully resist their ways and instead pray to me for wisdom because when this city prospers, you will prosper. You see, you have 70 years, so unpack your bags, look around and bless your neighbors, bring shalom and restoration and hope. Let's look at verse 10 and 11 again. 
For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now you've probably heard this said as plans to prosper you and not to harm you, or at least that's what's on all the signs. And I'm reading from the ESV. And so the ESV says that these are plans to bring welfare and not for evil. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is, that when I read that passage, that probably many of your hearts leapt because we know these words, right? We say these words all the time because it gives us hope in a good God. And we often approach this, this verse thinking that if God has a plan for me that is so good, clearly the suffering I'm going through, this exile, if you will, is going to end soon and my flourishing will begin. And so what we do is we take this verse and we remove it from this situation of exile and we put it on things like graduation cards or when someone is suffering, we'll quote it to them to, to tell them that this, this suffering isn't going to last forever. And while all of those wishes and desires are good and wonderful, that's not at all what God is saying to the Israelites, and that is not what he is promising us either. Our friend and um, author, Mary DeMuth, she has been here with us before. She explains that the heart of this verse is not that we would escape our lot, but we would learn to thrive in the midst of it, to not escape it. You see, it says that the Israelites are going to be there 70 years. 70 years is a lifetime. And so the thing is, God is sharing this, this promise. Before he shares it, he commands them to seek the peace and prosperity of the city where he sent them. You know, we all want to be told that our suffering is going to end. We all want to know that. Suffering is terrible. Exile is terrible. But instead, God's plan for them was to stay right there where they would help and prosper the nation that enslaved them. You see, when God says that he will return them home after 70 years, after a lifetime, they realize that many of the current generation of Israelites would die before that time and never return home. You know, the fact of the matter is that for some, the suffering won't end. The exile will keep going. And friends, God does have plans to prosper us. But our definition is often different than his definition. Psalm 37 says, um, to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't say he will give you your desires. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Bring yourself into alignment with God, into alignment with his will. And when you are aligned with his will, when you have the same desires as God, he will bring those desires to you. You see, his, his plan, his definition of prosperity is a little different than ours. And he says, first, we must prosper those around us, that we should bring shalom to people everywhere we go. We go out as missionary disciples to bring help and redemption to those with whom we come in contact. 
And when did the Israelites do this? Did they do this after they had gone back home? No, they did it while they were there. They did it in the middle of their exile. And so we must bring shalom wherever we are. You know, I told you I found myself in the um, infertility clinic at a uh, orientation for in vitro fertilization. And I got to orientation and it was just me and the embryologist. There were just two of us there. And so rather than her doing a big formal presentation, we just sat down together and talked and she walked me through things and, and I asked questions. I didn't really want to be there because I didn't want to be experiencing infertility. And uh, she didn't really want to be there either, she shared, because she had just experienced a miscarriage. And she was in that time between learning that she had miscarried and actually passing the embryo. And neither one of us were thrilled about being in our situations. But do you know what happened as we begin to share? We begin to share with each other who our God is and who we worship. And she was kind of into church, but not really. She believed in God, but I got to tell her about the living hope that we have in our God. And right in the middle of our exile, in that conference room, we blessed one another. And then I, um, I also told you at the beginning about the time when I was in the, the waiting room of the Hearst jail. Not the jail, the waiting room, let's be clear. And I was sitting out there and um, my family members were in the visitation area. And I could hear them arguing. And it, it was not a small argument. It was loud and it was disruptive. And through the soundproof doors, I could hear them and I knew it was my family because I recognized their voices. And it was a very difficult time for our family. It, it felt like a nightmare, basically. And about that time that I was feeling sorry for myself, the doors burst open and a woman runs in and she says, Help! My boyfriend is trying to hurt me and I'm afraid he's going to hurt my son. And so all the police officers, they all sprang to action and they were helping her and, and they, were, they were going to, to check on the boy and um, her phone had been broken. Her, her boyfriend had broken the phone and, and so as the police officers were, in a, were running around, she was just sitting there by herself and, and so I was in the waiting room too and I looked over and I said, do you want to use my phone to call someone? And, and so she called her mom and talked for a little bit and she was still pretty shaken, as anyone would be. And, and so I just scooted over next to her, and I said, I don't, I don't know you, and I don't know your life, but I believe in a saving God, so can I pray for you? And through her tears, she couldn't even talk. She just nodded. And so I prayed. I don't even remember what I prayed. No idea. But I got to pray for her. And then... As I finished praying, I looked around. We're the only two in the waiting room. And I, my, my family was about to leave um, the jail. And, and I just looked at her and I said, can I sit with you? I don't, I don't know if you want to be alone. I don't know you don't know me, but would you like me to just sit with you? And, and she just nodded. And she said, will you stay? And so my parents waited in the car and I just sat with her. We didn't have to talk. We just sat together. And I don't know whatever happened to that situation. A little bit later, she told me she was okay and her mom was on the way. And, and so I left. But let me just tell you, when I 
was in self-pity of why me? I looked over and there was someone who needed to know that there was hope and that there was shalom. And I got to do that for her. You see, is there a place right now where God is calling you to bring peace, to bless your neighbor? Look at verses 12 through 14. It says, um, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. You see, it says he will bring us back. But as Barry said in, um, in big church a couple of weeks ago, he said his way, his will, and his time. And so let me just share with you one more aspect of exile. Exile is not just when we are suffering. We are in exile right now. Peter, in 1 Peter, in just the very first verse, he writes to us and he calls us exiles. He says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, you and me as Christians. And you see, exiles, there's not really a word in, in our language that can describe what Peter was saying. And so it's really just saying um, that we are resident aliens. We're aliens here. We, this isn't our home. You know, a resident alien is someone who, who lives in a foreign land. They're not a tourist. They're there temporarily. They are a resident alien. And you see, this isn't our home. If this was our home, then, then death wouldn't bother us and brokenness wouldn't surprise us. We would be comfortable here. But the fact is, this isn't our home. This is a broken and deteriorating world. And there will be a day when Jesus will come and he will restore the new heaven and the new earth. And that has always been the plan. We have always been meant for eternity. And you see, by the work that Jesus did on the cross, we were born again into a new identity. Galatians says that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so when Jesus came to earth, Jesus became the ultimate exile. He left his home to be uncomfortable here on earth in a broken and deteriorating world. He was the ultimate exile so that we could go home and be in relationship with our Father. You see, home is the place where things fit, basically. You know, home is the place where, you know, we can, we can close our eyes and, and walk through the whole house because we know it so well. And then we can crawl into our bed that fits us, our bed, our home. We weren't meant for this world. And you know, we're kind of like the Israelites who we sell ourselves short a little bit. We're short-sighted. We, we introduce ourselves as people of this world. I say, my name is Amy. I, I work at IBC. I'm a wife and a mom, and I love law and order, hot tamales, and Jesus. But really, let me tell you my identity and who I am, because I'm on a pilgrimage 
I'm Amy, exiled away from my home in heaven, temporarily living here, commanded my God to prosper you and to prosper those in my circle of influence. My name is Amy. I am empowered by the Holy Spirit of the resurrected God, emboldened with his power and might, speaking directly to God, the creator, the healer, and the almighty. That's our identity. You know, the last thing I mentioned at the beginning of um, this, this time was I said that uh, one of the places I didn't want to be was my uncle's funeral. I mean, I loved him, and I loved going to their house, but we weren't that close. And I was at camp, and my parents took me out of camp to go be there. And, and I was in the funeral, and it was just fine. I was, you know, early high school. The world still revolved around me at that time, and this funeral, did, it was doing nothing for me because it was about me. But then we sang this song, the old hymn, When We All Get to Heaven, and I thought about my uncle being restored. I thought about the new heaven and the new earth that Jesus was going to bring back to us. I looked around at the room and I saw all the people that, that would probably be there before me that I would miss. And I began to cry. We're not meant for this place. And in this song, it says, Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing his mercy and his grace. We remember who God is. And in the second verse, while we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. We bring shalom to where we are. And then let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Because just one glimpse of him in glory, just one glimpse of his shalom will the toils of life repay. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And when we all see Jesus, the ultimate exile, who made a way for us to be with our Father, we will sing and shout the victory. And so when we are in exile, remember Remember who God is. Bring shalom to the places around you. And remember, you're just a resident alien. This world is not our home. Lord, thanks again for this time and space. Thanks for the work that Jesus did. <laughs> Without him choosing exile, we could not be praying directly to you and in intimacy and fellowship with you. God, help us to lift our eyes and see those around us who need to experience your peace and your prosperity. We love you, Lord. Amen.